With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. You know what my mother used to call me? Dangerous. I am dangerous. Few filmmakers at work today can claim to have more visual flair than Nicholas Finding Weffin. From his debut thriller Pusher to Drive, Only God Forgives and The Neon Demon, he always serves up a feast for the eyes. The music is delectable too. Whether using source music or score, the Danish director is most accomplished when it comes to sonic dressing. I'm Edith Bowman and you're listening to Soundtracking, a weekly podcast in which we examine the dynamics of music and film. Now Nicholas has enjoyed a particularly fruitful relationship with composer Cliff Martinez, whose title track from The Neon Demon is playing now. We'll hear plenty more about their relationship during the course of the interview and get a fascinating insight into how Nicholas deploys music to induce a profound emotional response from his cast. But we began by discussing the way in which Cliff's score has come to determine the way he edits his films. Nicholas, it's an absolute pleasure to see you, sir. It's been a few years since we uh, had the time to chat about one of your films. This is a podcast about music and film, so you are a great subject for this. I don't know where to start with you, to be honest. Where would you like to start? Well, the worst thing you can ask anyone is (laughs) the beginning. Let's start now then, and let's start with The Neon Demon, if that's all right. I love how your films make me ask questions. They're beautiful. And what I loved about this was the space that it had. So the silences and those scenes that go on longer than a lot of directors would have allowed them to. Well, actually, Neon Demon, which I kind of feel is the most successful collaboration between myself and composer Cliff Martinez, the pauses or the prolonging everything longer each time was because it left room for Cliff. And I wanted him to have as much space as possible. then comes in and takes what's there and then makes the music. But with Cliff, I already talked to him about what I was looking into making and the idea behind it. And then he's the first to come into the editing room to start looking at scenes. And we begin to talk about more about the style of the music and what it has to do and so forth. And then I deliberately cut scenes longer because it allows more space for Cliff to work his music into the scenes. (laughs) 
normally work with him? Is that how you've worked with him in the past? It's how we have evolved. Okay. On Drive, which was our first collaboration, it was very quick because mm -hmm. the turnaround was very quick. I had six weeks before I started mixing the film and I hadn't hired a composer yet. I just had those songs that I had chosen for the film, but I hadn't hired a composer. So once he came in, he was a very quick turnaround and then, I mean, the film was locked and done. or do you give him types of music or do you give him instruments that you want to hear? How does, what's in no, that conversation? No, no, I would never give Cliff an instrument. <laughs> I don't even know how he has so much more understanding. So this kind of process really began more with Only God Forgives where he would be part of the origin of the film. half the movie. It was the closest to the operatic nature. so many scenes I could highlight but there's one scene which involves Jesse being taken to this party by the rest of the girls and it's strobe lighting and it's so beautifully shot and good god I've no idea how you how you shot or filmed that and the music is kind of really gets under your skin but actually that club scene because there was so much music needed in the movie Cliff was completely indulged in that so when it came to the club scene I called my nephew who is a young musician and I said I need some club music and I need it by tomorrow <laughs> and he was like okay and then uh, he did it he sent it and it turned out really great and that was that it's made an impact that's yeah. for sure definitely that's great that's keeping in the family as well I like that you gotta support your own right? <laughs> yeah. 
Music's always been a, a really powerful force in your films. I rewatched Bronson recently as well, and, and that Walker Brothers, the yeah. electrician, I mean, that is it's a phenomenal piece of music, and it's used brilliantly in that film. He's driven through the spirit to sanctus tonight. Through the dark hip falls, screaming, oh, you mumbles, kill me and kill me and kill me. If I turn the handle, you'll die. an indication of your taste, the variety of stuff that's in that, you know, there's obviously a slightly tongue-in-cheek element, you know, with Doris Day and T for Two and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But is that... Well, I like all kinds of music. I collect every kind of music, and the more obscure, the more I find it interesting, and the more scratched the vinyl is, the more I find it interesting. very interested in in buying music purely on covers it's like books for me yeah, so yeah. <laughs> and traveling especially like to places like Japan or places that I would not normally ever buy music from and going in and then buying music from their past the more obscure the more I f interesting I find it and the more beauty I see in it in a strange way I guess but I like all kinds of music, but I had never really worked with a proper composer until Cliff Martinez. Prior to that, I had worked with uh, my friends back in Copenhagen who were rock musicians or punk musicians from that era yeah. when they were a lot older than me. So it was more of a guitar attitude-driven kind of music than actually composing melodies. Bronson, my original intention was to have the Pet Shop Boys do the music for the film. But when I was editing the film, just by accident, when I was shooting it, I was playing some classical music. Someone had one of those best of hits. <laughs> and I was playing it on set to some of the scenes to help the movement of the camera. And then we would use it in the editing room as well. And it started to work really, really work. But the intention was still to get the Pet Shop Boys to compose the music. Thank <laughs> you. 
So when the film was about done, I showed it to Pet Shop Boys, and they were like, uh, you can't afford us, baby. <laughs> Which is partly true, yeah. but they were very nice, and they were encouraging, and they did give me one of their songs in a very beautiful way. But they said, why don't you just leave it as it is? And by that time, we had all those hits already in the film, like New Order and Walker Brothers. And all that kind of strange 60s music that I had found in some vinyl store in Nottingham that had been placed in the film. genres it was probably the right time for me to start working with a real composer yeah. which you know would really start on until drive as well that you wanted to use Mogwai for Bahar Horizon. Was yes, that, the that original, original intention, intention was, yeah, I met with them and we spoke, and but the movie was being delayed and it hit into their schedule and then they moved on. And I kind of went back to my earlier friends that had done the Pusher trilogy. Which actually, in hindsight, was the best thing that ever happened because it gave a much heavier edge to the film that the film benefited from. And it was a wonderful way to conclude my collaboration with my past. And then going to LA and doing Drive, it was like a new chapter opened up, this time with Cliff, that has now become very integrated in my life. you guys meet? How did that relationship start? We met in an office in Los Angeles. <laughs> I've always liked him and there was a, like a list of musicians that you know I was looking at of who was potentially possible to hire and he was my favorite one of them you know and uh, I asked him what do you think of the songs because um, the 
uh, financiers of the movie hated Drive and they hated the music, the songs I had chosen. Well, they they were they would tell me young people don't want to hear that kind of music, and I was like, you don't know young people. Were they like 80? <laughs> well, not even that. It was just like some of the suggestions that came my way, and I refused to change the songs. So there was a lot of animosity towards my choice of music. So Cliff was really in a difficult situation because people were very much against my choice of music. Cliff, what he thought of the songs, and he said, I really like them, and I said, great, you're hired. <laughs> well, even the way that it's used in quite a traditional way, you're watching this couple completely fall in love. And the, the words say what's going yeah. on, even... with John Hughes when I was younger in New York and I loved a movie he made called 16 Candles and I remember John Hughes would always play the songs from start to finish so I was gonna play the films from start to finish which was something else you know in this day and age we were so used to just noise you know it wasn't like no I want it from the beginning I want to play until the end and long story but there were many again anti attitudes to what I wanted to do but I felt deep down that that's the kind of movie I would like to see. And that's the only thing you can really go with, is your instincts. Did they form the basis then of what the score went on to become, do you think? He took the songs as a I think the, the, the poppiness and the fluffiness and the romantic notion of it, the fairy tale nature of those songs, and the kind of naivety, because the movie's about naive love in a way, or the idea of love. I'm giving you a night call tell you how I feel. Try it out. Because in Drive, you know, you have that pre-titles scenes, and the soundscape for that's phenomenal. That kind of pulsation and the sound of the gloves and car revving, and then it hits that kind of title scene with that music. It's wonderful. Do you appreciate that, or kind of the, <laughs> the power of that? I I love music. I think that music and cinema, or music and images, really, you know, go hand in hand much more than words, a story, or even actors, you know, I mean, film was created as a documentation, and the first thing that was brought to it was music. 
was just an instrument and a projection. And so they're very integrated in each other. If you usually say a truly great movie, you can also say the music was really good also. That's why the art of film composing is sometimes undervalued in a way of what it really means to a film. I don't do drugs anymore, so it helps me to, it, it opens up, music it opens you up and allows you to flow. And creativity is a lot about going essentially within more and more. And, you know, it's still interesting that at any given time you can play certain notes that automatically will make you cry wherever you are. That, that's how simple we are as people. And nothing else can do that, almost, but music. Because I play music while I'm shooting also. Okay. Sometimes even when they have dialogue, usually you say dialogue, quiet everyone, there's <laughs> dialogue. And sometimes I would do a take with music as they're performing what, dialogue. What kind of thing? It could be anything from ambient to more uh, rhythmic driven. Uh, I think on Neon Demon I used a lot of Georgia Moroder. There was always Georgia Moroder around. still at the time of being analog, but it was also something a lot darker and very aggressive sound to that. The beat came out of it. And the, it's kind of a beat that a lot of alternative bands in the early 80s really embraced. And now it's like everywhere. But that was very counterculture in a way and very, it was almost tech punk. Kraftwerk, you know, was very much what inspired Drive. So Giorgio Moroder, uh, but I would like, if there's an intimate scene, you know, you can play a piece of music that's very uh, soft or something that opens. And then I would do it again without music, and the performance would all be a little bit different because you, 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 you then you become maybe more technical-minded or you speed up the process more. But then I could take the dialogue from that scene and put it into the scene where there was music because the looks and the flow between how they perform physically was so different. On Dry, for example, because I took so much dialogue out every day, yeah. I would play um, an ending by Eno I mean, endlessly.
I would just, for example, film Ryan or, or Carrie, and I would just shoot and shoot, and I would play this music, and, and they're looking and looking and looking, and they're like, am I done looking? And I say, no, 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 just continue to look, because I was listening to the music as I was seeing it. And then when I would cry, I was like, okay, now we found whatever it is that has to happen in this scene, because the music and, and Ryan and her, and especially Ryan and how he was able to, to open up to this flow of emotions that was very seductive. And so it was fun to play with those kind of abilities of what music can do to an actor. interested if, if you did that for one particular scene where he's killed the guy on the left and it's brutal and Carrie leaves the left and he turns around and you see a look on his face that you've never seen before he kind of knows you know that things have changed oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to heighten those emotions baby. yeah I saw some footage of you when you were when you were filming Only God Forgives because with that you had to tap into that culture and that music from that culture as well and there was some lovely footage of you sat with a, a supervisor yeah. who was really you know in tune with with music. Cliff was actually very helpful in that because he introduced me to something called Isan music, which is a certain Thai country and Western music. foreigner or westerner and they're like folk tales and it, that was very inspiring for the film but I had no knowledge of it My but I loved that it was so peculiar so I had to bring in these experts of Thai music and which is a lot harder than it sounds to explain to me but also find references because there were very little material that was accessible of that kind of music. But I liked watching you just kind of sit and listen to stuff going, yeah, I really like this. And you kind of got up and were yeah. almost kind of having a little dance in your head whilst you, while you listened to it. It was great. Yeah. 
you write in as well? Constantly. Uh, music is the number one. I listen to music 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's the first thing that happens in the morning and it goes on all day. Whenever I go anywhere, I try to listen to music as much as possible. What was the first film that you can remember appreciating that synergy between the visuals and the sound? I grew up in New York and my mother had the soundtrack to Once Upon a Time in the West, which I hadn't seen, but she always put on the record for me to listen to. So it was my introduction to film music and probably that's the holy grail of film music. And so I saw how it evoked images in my mind and the power of it. And that has always been like my introduction to what it really means to be enchanted by film music. well that Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a big influence on you. Yeah, I mean, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you see, growing up in New York, uh, my mother and stepfather, you know, were socialists from Denmark living in Manhattan, and we lived in a duplex penthouse. I, I could see Walterson on one side and still on the on my other side. We came when I was eight years old, and we lived there for 10 years, so it was hard for me to rebel against that part of it, because they were socialists and my mother had photographed Jimi Hendrix and Miles Davis, so wow. I couldn't rebel in that area <laughs> because those are probably the most two radical musicians in a way of the last many, many, many years. really would make my mother very angry was Ronald Reagan and violent American entertainment. <laughs> so guess what I loved growing up. <laughs> and when I was 14, I went to see the Texas Chainsaw Massacre at a cinema. And that's when I saw film as an art form, meaning that film didn't have to be a film. It could be an installation. It just evoked emotions. It had no meaning. It had no sexuality. There was nothing in it but just pure expressions. I don't want to make that, in fact, they're terrifying, but I want to do what that film does. You do, time and time again. And listen, our times were out. It's an absolute pleasure to chat to you. Thank you very much for your time, sir. Nice oh, to see you. Thank, thank you. you. Cheers.
Texas Chainsaw Massacre, these are Wayne Bell and Toby Hooper's end titles, rounding off our conversation with Nicholas Finding Refn, who cites the film as a great inspiration. Many thanks to Nicholas for taking the time to talk to us. The Neon Demon is available on home entertainment formats now, while Cliff Martinez's score is out via Milan Music. The Drive soundtrack, meanwhile, has recently been re-released by Lakeshore and Jeff Barrow's Invader Records to celebrate the fifth anniversary of the film. Don't forget you can find the tracks featured during the show in the order they appear by heading to edithbowman.com, where you can also listen to all of our previous episodes. Ron Howard, Andrea Arnold, Todd Phillips and John Favreau are amongst those who await. And do follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, where we'll keep you bang up to date with what's going on. Next week, please join me to hear me chat to writer-director Derek Cianfrance, whose latest film, The Light Between Oceans, stars Michael Fassbender and Alicia Vikander. I look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs> <laughs>